I'm TJ Walsh, and you're listening to the Bold Creatives Collective podcast. Take a front row seat to hear conversations with successful musicians, producers, actors, visual artists, designers, directors, marketers, and more, and learn about their perspectives and approach to leadership, creativity, innovation, and growth. Let's dive in. I am so excited right now to bring on Matthew Burroughs. I've been really excited to have this conversation. Uh, I've been trying to figure out a way to uh, connect with Matthew since I first saw um, Artist Support Pledge on Instagram in March of 2020. Uh, And he can tell you in just a second uh, how that all started. Um, But I know that that campaign and subsequently um, all of the things that it's turned into and is turning into um, has been such uh, an important part of our uh, year and uh, I guess a half now really um, of of making work and getting it out there uh, in ways that maybe we didn't really expect to be uh, doing, right? Um, because our lives changed so quickly. So I wanna say hi officially, Matthew, to to you and thanks so much for coming and hanging out with me. Hi TJ and and uh, hello to everybody listening. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Ah, that's so cool. Are you coming? Are you showing up right now from your studio space? Is that where you are? Yeah. So I have. Um, this is sort of one half the studio. There's a yeah. my painting main painting studio is on the other side of the walls next door. Okay. So this is really where I make drawings and smaller works, and also have my office. Okay, that's awesome. And can you tell me where in the where in the UK you are you are based? Yeah, southeast UK. So it's about sort of seventy miles south of London on the on the south coast. Okay, and it's near a place called Rye, uh, which is a, a beautiful small yeah. town in East Sussex. Wow, and is that where you're from originally, or? No, I'm, I'm originally from the uh, from the north of England, from uh, near Liverpool. Um, <laughs> I moved down south to study, uh, moved to London to study uh, okay. in the in the nineteen nineties. Yeah, and I've stayed down this in this part of the world since. And since that mm. time, you've been a professional painter um, and maker, um, and also an educator as well, right? You have spent years. Yeah, I mean, I've students. I've spent. I mean, pretty much actually <laughs> right from. Graduation. I've I've worked as a professional artist. Um, I've never had a period when I haven't. Yeah. Uh, but in mixed in with all that has been periods of been involved in education. Um, not sort of extensively. I've never worked full time doing it. It's always been you know the odd sort of a day or two a week maximum. Um, if I mean I don't even do that these days. It's it's a it's a day every now and again. Um, but I've always been very interested in. And very kind of motivated by what it is we do when we think about teaching art. Uh, you know, is it is it even teachable? All these things, I think, are really. I, you know, I've always been really excited by that. And and I think as an artist, yeah. I've never really seen it as something that isn't part of what I do. That you know, it, I, I always sort of felt that imparting and passing on something of the wisdom you've gained from what you do is part of your job as an right. artist it's, it's not a separate thing it's not a separate thing it's all yeah. one it's all one one that's right you you touch upon something that is interesting to me um in the work that i do with with artists i'm of the i guess belief um that all people right 
anyone who is a human being is innately creative. Um, and you just look at that through, you know, the course of human development, right? When a little child is just so creative, has like so much energy and is putting things out into the world and experimenting and failing in ways that they learn from and then adapt. Um, and then something happens over the course of our growing time where that is kind of like put in a box and locked up and, and we no longer um, associate with it in um, a genuine or, or pure way from my perspective. And I work with, um, with artists, um, whether they're visual artists or musicians or actors or writers, any kind of artist um, who span the gamut of, you know, just like Sunday painters or hobbyists all the way to, you know, people who um, have made a life of it and are quite, I guess, successful to, uh, based upon, you know, the world's standards. Um, and for the folks who kind of are struggling, or they would say that they're struggling to, um, you know, feel confident in their ability to create what you said about um, being unsure whether or not like art is actually something that is actually teachable kind of took my mind to this piece of what I'm talking about, um, which to me sounded like you also believe that everybody is creative um, and it's putting giving them the tools that they need, giving them the encouragement that they need uh, to let that part of them grow and, and shine forward. Um, I may, I hope I didn't put words in your mouth, but I would like to hear if you have any thoughts on that or if you have a different perspective. No, I, I completely agree with that, actually. I, I think that we're all innately creative. I think we're born with it. I think it's how we interact with the world. That's our, our most precious gift in yeah. in not only in survival, but in thriving as human beings. And I think that in a way, you know, without getting into the sort of the politics too deeply about this, sure. I think, you know, we've created a system, an industrial system that doesn't really want everyone to be creative. It wants people to function within the system. It wants them to be cogs in the wheel, if you like. Yeah. And creativity wow. gets in the way. Right. So it's, it's our education system, which is developed and designed to serve industrial society. Yeah isn't really fit to, to, to create a society that fosters and nurtures the conditions of creativity. And it's the, it's the outcasts of that, it's the artists of the world, if you like, who often don't fit into the mainstream education system, who manage to navigate that and find their way through and, and sustain that, that kernel of creativity in their life. But it's difficult. You know, it's not... Even when you do that, it's it, it. There's so many pressures on that all the time that can stifle and um, suffocate that creativity. Well, I because think, the know, incentives, right? Yeah, and the incentives because of that, I think, is is pulling you towards becoming, you know, a cog in in the system that you were just talking about, right? It's hard to be, you know, someone who is different, someone who is creating their own way or trying to right and there's always that like well if you just come into it this way then maybe it'll be a little easier for you um and then like you said a second ago right creativity the system doesn't really like people to be creative and i'm wondering if that's maybe because 
you know, creativity equals questions um, and questions equals like sometimes threat to the overall system that, you know, is being, is being kind of forced to propel this type of society forward that we're living in. Yeah, I, th- I think that's largely about sort of in a, in a sense the, the corporization of, of human society. Yeah. We've created these corporations which are huge and they, they work very effectively when everyone joins in um, and not so much joins in, but actually in effect does what they're told. Right. And I think in a way, you know, what creativity does is it's always creativity works best when you are absolutely integrated into it and you're you're authentically involved absolutely honestly involved with it so your whole being is involved in it mm-hmm. and in it, that's why it's hard to fake it you can't fake creativity and you can't um in, and in a way sort of you know you can't pretend to be creative you either are doing it or you're not and the the and, and as an artist as a creator yourself you know when that's not working Right, because you've only got yourself to to, to sort of judge on it. You know, if, if you can't fake something to yourself, right. because you know you're faking it. <laughs> so it's right. you know, in a way, you know, that's why I think where creativity gets difficult to maintain because the conditions that are created around us all the time, even the values that we live by within the society and the cultures we live in, mm-hmm. are often there to sort of devalue creativity you know yeah. we even you know in in the uk i don't know what it's like in america but we talk about core subjects in the uk in school okay and those core subjects which are seen as the most important do not include creativity and it's you know all the creative subjects are not in the core subjects so are they, I always, would that be like stem subjects like yes. the sciences and maths and and those yeah. kinds of things okay exactly i mean the irony of it is if you speak to any sort of high level scientist or mathematician they would say that science and math at that level is creative for sure and i think any subject and this is the irony i think that actually i think strip take putting creativity purely within the art sector it's a way of sort of controlling it and sort of saying okay put it in the art sector and then don't fund the arts and then demean and devalue artists by making them infantilizing them into egotists and narcissists mm-hmm. rather than thoughtful, emotionally sensitive, uh, disciplined, creative people. Right. Um, if you, if you, th- if they're like, if you think they're going to be like that, then you've got to take them seriously. But if we devalue artists by making us into sort of some kind of, uh, you know, entertainment or, you know, you know, it is something that is just kind of not to be taken seriously. It's like, um, uh, Oh, they're just there to sort of upset things or yes, they are, but in upsetting something, what are we, what wisdom do we get from that? Right. And I, and I think in a way, one of the things that I've learned as an artist and one of the things that, you know, our support pledge was born out of really was this idea that we've got to, as artists, take responsibility for creating the best conditions for creativity to thrive Mm-hmm. and that because nobody else seems to be bothered about it and if if we can't be reliant upon other people all the time giving us those conditions and i think that not only as individual artists we have to do that so we right. have to create the conditions for our own practice and what we do 
making those as effective as possible. But also, I think we have to do that culturally. We have to do that on a broader scale, you know. Right. How well, do we best thrive? Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, and I think it's also, you know, the messaging that is um, kind of put forth to people who want to, you know, be creative with their life and go fully into it. Like you're talking about, you have to be totally invested in it. You have to totally like live your life uh, in that creative mindset and that creative space. The messaging Mm -hmm. that is told uh, to people who are moving in that direction is, oh, you're going to be starving. You're going to be a starving artist. Right. And um, it's almost like gaslighting at its finest in a way. Right. Because then that starving artist notion um, becomes this like almost romanticized belief then that, oh, if I am not like starving, however, you know, like lacking, then I must not be truly a real maker or creator and I'm doing something wrong. And I feel guilty if I am making money or some kind of living from my work, because, you know, like it gets all twisted around and none of that um, really should be right. That people should be able to make a living off of being creative and generative and um, problem solvers and uh, and disruptors. Um, and I think creating this environment um, to uh, allow for people to start exploring and making an environment that they can be seen as, as having something to contribute is a really important thing that artist support pledge, I think began, began to do and is, and is doing now. Yeah. I think, I think in a way, you know, going back to the idea of, you know, a scientist and a mathematician being creative. Yeah. I think we also need to realize that economics is a creative subject as well. And that we have this idea, especially in, in the Western world, that there's one way of being economic and the economies only work in a certain way. And, and that's just not the case. You know, there are many ways of being, um, economic, there are many financial systems, there are many ways of surviving and thriving. Yeah. And I think in a way, you know, where I think it's been really interesting for me over the last sort of two years, I, I've been sort of thinking about this for a very long time, mm-hmm. but obviously I've been thrust right into the middle and center of it and had to kind of sort of do a lot of catching up. <laughs> right. um, but it's been really exciting to kind of think, actually, you know, economics, you can play with economics like you play with a, a shape or an object as, as an artist does. Wow. You can right. think about it in different ways. You can turn it upside down, turn it inside out yeah. and look at it and see what happens to it. And yet we largely live with this idea that, oh, well, economics only works in one direction and it only works in a certain way. Um, and that there are certain assumptions about that, you know, things about growth and productivity mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. work ethics and things like that and yet you know from I've been sort of painting now as a professional artist for 20, more than 25 years and one of the things I've learned is that actually often I I'm most productive when I slow down I'm most productive when I try not to worry about the things that I'm told I need to worry about yes and ultimately what really matters is I make the best work I can and make work that I get, 
I get some joy and fulfillment out of. Right. And I hope somebody else gets some joy and fulfillment out of. Because if I don't do that, there's no kind of real point in me doing it at all. Right. But I think we undermine those sorts of values. You know, we undermine things like joy as if to enjoy something, as if to get something out of it is bad. It's bad. Because right. that means that you're not being disciplined. Well, I can tell you, I've spent 25 years exploring joy and it takes some <laughs> discipline to do it well. Definitely. You know, to, to really Definitely. engage in what you're doing as an artist and to be, to seek something out of it that is genuine is a, an act of discipline. I mean, even, you know, one of the things I always, I don't know, you know, I often hear people say, when you say you're an artist, they'll say, oh, it must be lovely to do what you want all day. <laughs> right. And I always think, well, have you ever tried it? <laughs> have you ever actually tried right. to do what you want all day? Because then you've got to say, what is it I want? And mm-hmm. I don't mean on a shallow, superficial level. I mean, really, what is it you want? Right. If you ask that question every day of your life and you have to give an honest and robust answer to it because you're the only one who's actually going to know whether you're being whether truthful you're, or not, uh-huh. it's a difficult question to ask. So to do that, in with joy to say what do i want joyfully is one of the toughest things you can do mm-hmm. and that's why i think you know the greatest artists manage to do that and actually you know the greatest thinkers of any sort they're able to sort of step outside of the expectations and the biases of, of their society and say what is it that i want and in doing so if they answer, answer that honestly they tell us all what we want. And I think that's, uh, you know, one of the, I think one of the kind of key things that artists do, it's not the only thing they do, right? but it's not an easy thing to do. No. So is that, I mean, you're making so many, this is just, I could just let you talk for forever um, about this because I think to me, it speaks, it speaks so much to me. Um, you know, I do, I do a number of different things and all of the things that I do in my life, um, most of them bring me joy. Um, a lot of them, or they can't be most in a lot. Come on, TJ. Um, most of them bring me joy. Some of it is really not, but it's kind of necessary to be able to continue with, with the, with the things. Um, but my problem is I, really want to be moving at this like breakneck speed all of the time, right? Like fast, fast, faster, faster, faster. I'm not going fast enough. I'm not changing this thing that I'm trying to change or grow this thing that I'm trying to grow fast enough. Um, But what I hear you saying is that is, you know, the opposite of maybe um, what I should be doing or uh, maybe at least to try to slow down and see what it's like right? To try and have a slower, uh, a slower speed about things. And I had a little taste of that um, slowness uh, the past, it's speeding up again, but the past 15 months or so when everything kind of shut down out of, you know, panic and necessity um, and all of the noise kind of quieted. And I was able to hear within myself, you know, what is important? What do you want to do? Um, what, uh, what makes sense to do rather than, you know, all of the things that, you know, I think I want to do or believe I should be doing, 
um, because I'm just going so fast, I'm being impulsive. Um, and so I'm really drawn to your idea of, of your word of being, of being slow. Um, and then also, you know, asking yourself, you know, what is it that you want to do? Um, and then you're talking a lot about joy. So I guess is to go back to, to you is, is joy like one of your, one of your pillars? Like if you, if you feel joyful or however you identify joy being present, um, you know, kind of, you are, um, pointed in in a good direction for that day or that time yeah i mean there's two things there one is you know this idea of slowness as one of my passions in life is endurance running so i do ultra marathons and there's a saying in ultra marathons that if you're not enjoying it slow down and the idea is is that the trick to running endurance racing doing it well is to make your slow quick so you, you, you learn to make what is your slow running pace faster, not the other way around. You don't run quick to try and make your slow fast. You run slow, but you do a lot of it to make it quicker. Yeah. And so, you know, when I started understanding that as an endurance athlete, I started to realize that I wasn't living my life as an artist like that. I would, like you were saying, I'd do everything at breakneck speed. Mm-hmm. I was always head down. I've always had a very strong work ethic. So I've always worked long hours. I've always worked quite intensively. But what I was finding over the years was it was, wasn't serving me well. Yeah. Um, and it was having a kind of a negative effect on my work. And then it was only when I started to really truly learn to slow down, and which took me quite a few years. You know, it's quite a discipline to really truly learn to slow down physically and mentally in the way I approach things. Mm. And actually, the idea of joy really is about saying, uh, I use this idea of thinking about a compass, that the terrain of my work as an artist needs to be navigated. And to navigate, I need to know where my my north is. Hmm. What's my true north? And if I know where my true north is, then I've got a means of navigating it. Yeah. And I think of things like joy as being able to sort of say, okay, that's in the north. Joy's in the north. So if I know where joy is, then I know where I'm heading. Yeah. It's not the only thing there, but I think things like um, learning is in my north. I think learning is a form of joy to me that if I'm not learning, I'm really not enjoying it. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, learning to cultivate and nurture a sense that learning is not something you do once when you go to school or, university or whatever it's something you do every single day yeah Uh, and it's one of the things I often get frustrated as as a parent when they talk about children Mm -hmm. and they say you know they're not at school they're not learning I think a child is learning 24 hours a day yes everything they do is learning because it is new to them and they're learning something about the world they're learning something about themselves they're learning something about each other really it's about offering and cultivating and nurturing greater depth and breadth of experiences that allows their learning to be richer. And I think as a, once I understood that as an artist, I then started to realize that, okay, slow down, mm. develop that breadth. Don't feel like you've always got to be finishing things, completing things, try things out and allow this, your slow to become quick. And what yeah. I mean by that in a way is that work slowly 
but the slowness is productive. Because if you're working as I used to do many years ago now, I used to work really, really hard. I'd work really intensively, yeah. but I just wasn't producing enough work. Okay. And what I found now is I, I now, I still work quite long hours. It's my, part of my nature, but I work much slower. Mm-hmm. I break my day up. I okay. um, approach things in a way where when I start working in the morning, I don't actually start making any work until I have slowed down. And so I've reached a point in myself, I think, okay, I, I'm not in a rush. Yeah. If I'm in a rush, I so, guarantee I'm going to make a, you know, a mess of it. Are you able to share a little bit about um, what that process is like for you to slow down? You have a, like a crazy, hectic morning maybe before you get to your studio or wherever you're going to be for the day. Um, and you're coming in and you're kind of distracted or just all over the place you know you have stuff to do and it's like there's that impulse to get to it but you're saying i i can't i know that i can't do that until i slow down so are there things that you do to slow yourself down to get yeah numerous strategies for doing this um you know i i think the best one is is definitely meditation you know i I started doing this about maybe 10 15 years ago now um, and over the years, I realized how significant it was, and it's got me through many difficult times um, and enabled me to really now I, I, I really couldn't start the day without it. I realize okay. it's absolutely pivotal to what I do. Mm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. even now really informs the work I make. Um, but also, you know, around that is other things like I find that one of the things that really helps me, I don't do this every day, but I if I if I really feel I need it, I do it. I go for a slow walk with a sketchbook. Hmm. So it might only be 20 minutes. Um, I just take my sketchbook with me and I don't go with any mission, any purpose other than to observe. So I just look at things and I draw them quite quickly. I don't spend hours. I just, you know, might make some quick drawings, anything and everything. I don't discriminate on what I'm going to draw. I don't go out thinking, okay, I'm going to go out and draw, um, you know, trees or, or houses or whatever i just go out and draw things anything it could be something close up it could be something right. far away right and i found that in a way that's a sort of form of if sort of artistic meditation in a way it's about being curious and aware of the world around you and it, you know it, in my sense it's about making marks on a piece of paper right. that heighten that sense of experience of being aware and curious definitely, definitely. and i think that is really probably the two most important things to being creative maintaining your curiosity about things and doing that within a state of awareness and i really yeah i really like that i didn't i never it's quite obvious i mean anybody can can do it to take a sketchbook out for a walk and go and, and move slowly but you know it just makes so much sense and it all goes together with your meditation, I totally agree with you that that's a form of meditation. Um, and engaging your hand uh, is a direct link to your mind. Um, and it's involving your body, which is so, so important, right? To um, being in touch with yourself. Um, and uh, if you're not in touch with yourself um, and connected, creating something outside of yourself is going to be really, really difficult. Um, and then your curiosity word is, 
impossible. The idea of curiosity, the act of being curious is impossible if we're going so fast. Right. And so slowing down and becoming curious, right. Will uh, really enhance your ability to be creative in a generative way. Um, but it also forces you to slow down too uh, when you're, when you're looking at stuff. Yeah. I think uh, interestingly, I think, this, that's, of course, saying all this is not to say that there won't be periods when you're making work, when it's, it's not or it's inappropriate to work quickly. Sometimes you need to up yeah. the pace and sure. upset the processes by working fast. But that has to be seen in the context, if you like, of being able to slow down again, yeah. almost at will, being able to say, okay, th- at this point in the process of making my work, I need to be responsive in a in a way which is very intuitive and quick but i then need to be able to step back and stop and slow down reflect move slowly back into things if it's always just a frenzy um that's all it'll ever be because it's in a way you know that it kind of connects parts of our brain that then don't allow our creativity to stop unfolding and I always sort of think it's, you know, you, you, you briefly mentioned this idea of connecting to things. I think in a way, all creativity is about making connections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that we sometimes underestimate is what are we making connections between? And we sometimes think, okay, there it's, it's, it's stuff in your head, you know, it's ideas or it's intellectual thoughts or it's yeah. emotions, but it's actually all of these things. You know, it's connections between ourselves, each other, the ground at my feet, the air around me, the space I exist in, my emotions, my thoughts, my ideas. Right. It's it's not one of those things. It's all of those things. And actually, really what we do as artists is we create something that enables connectivity between different parts of ourselves. So in a way, you know, when I go drawing, it's not that I necessarily use those drawings to make art. It's that in a way I, it's that, it's that sort of form of meditation. It's preparing me by being present in a space in the world, right? By physically with my hands, making something that responds to that and engaging with my eyes and my mind in thinking about those things. So in a way it's a sort of limbering up to life in the morning that allows all of your faculties to start becoming engaged. Um, you know, then I might go back to the studio and make sort of studio drawings that might bear little resemblance to the drawings sure. I've made, you know, in the sketchbook. But there, but I find that 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 sort of practice of going taking the sketchbook for a walk um, it has actually been one of the things that has been a sort of stayed with me really all my career actually, and it's been something I continue to do. Right. Yeah. And I, I just remember back when I was, you know, an art student and um, the, the importance that my professors uh, placed on keeping a sketchbook um, was really, I mean, we ha- I had this one, this one uh, drawing professor um, who drove me absolutely bananas Um, but she turned out to be, you know, somebody that became a mentor of mine and uh, forged a really nice relationship with, um, but she had this project, 
which was really to just keep, you know, a sketchbook, like the size of like a standard moleskin sketchbook um, and, you know, carry it everywhere with you. And you have to make something in it, do something with it. And it's, you know, not necessarily masterpieces in the sketchbook, but it's what was really what you were doing. And as a young art student, and many of my peers, I think were the same way, or maybe even worse about it. Like, we're just really grumpy about it because we felt like, you know, what, it, what are we doing here? We're here to like draw and be these, you know, I don't know, masterful <laughs> artists all of the time. Um, meanwhile, she's teaching us some really rich um, uh, things uh, and the things, you know, as you're talking, I hear Chris Zielinski like coming through you um, because she was the same way meditation, right? Um, you know, connecting your hand with elements of nature and other art around you um, and just really, really slowing down. She was one of the most like Zen beings um, I have ever encountered this little Swiss woman who was very, very Zen, but, um, yeah, it's so important to slow down. Yeah. I, th I sometimes think of it as a bit like gardening and, you know, when people start gardening, they start looking at the beautiful flowers and the shrubs and the trees they want to plant. Right. But it's actually really to, to grow a successful garden. You've got to start with the soil, right? It's boring. I know it doesn't sound exciting at first. Yeah but you've got to nurture the soil. And I think the, in effect, that's what you're doing when you're drawing, when you're keeping a sketchbook, you're nurturing the thing that really, it can't be seen. And that's one of the things I love about a sketchbook is it's yours. Yeah. You don't have to show it to anybody. You don't have to make it public. Whereas when I make art that goes out into the world, you're always sort of aware that it's going to be seen. Right. And that you're always sort of comparing, contrasting and judging it. Whereas right. you don't have to judge anything in a sketchbook. Right. It can be terrible. It can just be a note. It can just be a word. It can just be a line, an image. It'd be anything you like. Mm -hmm. It's just you interacting with the world in the simplest means possible with a, a mark on a flat surface. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of, I'm just going to make maybe just like a hard right turn here or something or left turn, whichever direction you prefer <laughs> um, towards putting things out in the world and talking a little bit about artist support pledge. Um, and, you know, right before um, we started talking on the recording, you were saying March 16th of 2020 was when you just like put this thing out there. Um, and, and then it over, over the course of the year, just took off. Can you, for, for people who might watch this and not uh, know too much about um, the initiative, um, the project, um, can you tell us a little bit about what it is and then, um, and then we can talk a little bit more about it? Yeah, well, I had this sort of, you know, when, when the pandemic sort of started to really take off in the UK, and there was a day in sort of mid-March, 16th of March, when um, I had been receiving emails from people saying, you know, everything's shutting. My exhibitions are shutting, galleries are closing, right. Right. you know, teaching work, all the work that artists do, all closing. Um, and, you know, this kind of wave of desperation seemed to 
across the art world, not only in the UK, but you could feel it rippling across the world everywhere. And I just sort of thought, okay, I've got to do something, you know, I've got to try and do something. So I came up with this idea that of the art support pledge. And the premise is really fairly simple, that you sell work for up to $200. You can be less than that on by using a hashtag, which is hashtag artist support pledge. So you post work on Instagram with the hashtag, with the work for sale and details about the work. And that the pledge part is that when you reach $1,000 worth of sales, you pledge to buy another artist's work yeah. for $200. And so it creates this um, sort of reciprocal economy where very quickly, because the, pr- the prices were quite low, um, you know, people were buying work rapidly. So people were reaching their pledge and then been able to buy other work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to admit, when I started it, I... I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. Um, you know, I posted <laughs> right. it on the evening. I think it was 8 p.m. in the evening on the 16th of March and um, went to bed, thought nothing of it, got up the next day, and I was one off reaching my pledge. And I thought, oh, that was quick. I wasn't expecting it, the turnaround to be so rapid. <laughs> so um, I thought, well, I'll just try a bit harder. So I, that's when I came up with the red art support pledge tile, I sent that around to friends and colleagues in the arts and said, look, can you repost it? And just, you know, if you want to use it, use it. And then by, I think by lunchtime, my phone was pinging every few seconds. And by the evening, I was getting two messages a second. Right. And it went on like that for months. Really? Um, wow. And by the end of the first week, it was global. And I had the BBC News, which is in the UK. The BBC is, is the main news channel yeah. at the studio and that was within five days of starting it wow um it was that quick so you know it was at that point it was it was simply a matter of okay what do i do i could just run away <laughs> it <laughs> cross my mind uh, <laughs> or actually sort of embrace try and do it. something with it yeah. embrace it and, and and run with it and i i decided at that point i thought okay this is too important to just run away or to ignore mm-hmm. it I thought I'll commit myself to it for three months and I'll go for it. I'll just do everything I possibly can within that three months. Cause at that point they were talking about a three month lockdown. Right. So I thought, okay, we might, I might, if I can get this to three months, brilliant. You know, I thought that might be the, the, the sort of my biggest ambition. Right. To be honest, I thought I might only make three weeks, but um, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and then it obviously went straight past the three month Definitely. Time. It's carried on going. Why do you think it was or is so important? Why do you think people embraced it so quickly? Um, because there are many great ideas out there, right? But this this simple hashtag at the time that it was put into the world, um, you know, grew exponentially. Um, very, very quickly. Why do you think it is so important to so many people? I th- well, there's two things there, really. I think the the conditions were right. right. And I, I think, you know, there's, there's two things that motivate human behavior, fear mm-hmm. and love. Yeah. And there was this mass sense yes. of fear. And you can either run away and hide or you can do something good with it. 
Right. And I just decided to do something good with it. So, you know, I thought, okay, here's this problem. Let's solve it by doing something good rather than shouting at one another or, or locking myself in a cupboard. Um, So I think it was an effective way of, I think giving people a sense of hope when they felt fairly hopeless Mm -hmm. is like, okay, here's a way of bin community, helping one another, supporting one another and supporting ourselves. And also I think that, um, you know, I purposely developed the, the pledge to replicate the idea that art is a gift. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever read Lewis Hyde's The Gift, which yep. is a American writer. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of quite a pivotal yes. book in the arts. But I've always loved that idea that art, um, you know, sits within a gifted economy much better than it sits within a sort of progressive sort of capitalist economy, if you like. And I think one of the things that artists, hmm. artists think implicitly understand this. They, you don't have to tell them that. They just know it. Right. They know that what they do is born out of nothing and creates something special, which is given to the world. It doesn't matter whether anyone buys it or not. It just exists in the world. And so it's a sort of gift in itself. You know, we talk about artists being gifted, but I think beyond that, I think what they produce is a gift. It gives the world something that didn't, previously exist right so i think that in a way creating a system that was like a gifted economy it was passing things on to one another and supporting one another in- instinctively artists knew what that meant they knew how it should work they they just straight away understood it and took that on board and the context was right that fear was there you know i could never have done this without a pandemic the pandemic allowed it to, to thrive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, you, you know, I, I, we could just run away from that fear or we could actually do something good with it. So right. I think that, you know, that I gave, it gave people a sense of purpose um, was really important. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the fear and the, yeah, that's really a beautiful story and reality that, is still existing today with this thing, this project. Uh, and by the way, your stuff <laughs> was like flying off of the, off of Instagram. I, every time you would post, I would try and go get it and it was gone. And then yeah. I think one time we had a little, a little like one back and forth exchange. You're like, I'm going to be posting at this minute at this time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try. And I kept missing it anyway. So yeah, they don't all go that quick. You know, it's (laughs) funny how, you know, some of them hang around for a few days, Mm -hmm. um, but they have been going pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, you know, for me, I was putting my work on at substantially lower than their normal market value. Right. Uh, And, and actually, you know, that's a sort of a big no-no in the art world. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to sort of speak to my gallery about it. So I said, like, I'm going to do this. All right. Yeah, you have representation, um, don't you? So yeah. You- <laughs> and he was, I must say, they've, they've, my gallery's been superbly supportive of what I've done uh, and what I'm doing. And I've been, you know, I've, I've, I've not been stupid doing it. I, I'm, I make work for the pledge and it's, mm-hmm. it is designed to sort of um, give a good deal to the people who are buying it. I'm not, I'm not into the game of ripping people off. You know, right. I want them to get a decent piece of work out of me. Right. But my feeling is, is that actually the, one of the greatest rewards out of that for me is not so much the financial reward, although obviously that's nice as well. 
is that I know that I've supported many artists all over the world, not only because the pledge exists, right. but because I'm buying their work. Right. So, right. You know, you're, you're keeping the pledge yourself, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, I've, I've, I've supported quite a lot of artists over the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then, so it started out as this hashtag that just like became its thing mm-hmm. overnight. And did I see that it is now an official, like a registrate a registered charity now with Yeah, it's it's a not for profit, it's a not for profit company. Okay. Uh, which I, I set up quite quickly. I mean, I think I did that in the first two or three months. Okay. Uh it was certainly in the first actually it was two months because I had to set something up because I was having to deal with legal issues and all sorts of things. And you, you can't do things like that without some kind of entity. Entity, yeah. Um, so I had to create something. And I took a lot of advice from people who know a lot more about this sort of stuff than I do. And we eventually settled on a not-for-profit company at that point because it was mm-hmm. the most agile way of dealing with it. Whereas a charity is, is slow. It takes time to set up. It takes time to make response um, to respond to things because you have a board of trustees. Okay. Whereas I could make decisions on a, in a second, you know, just say, okay, that's the right thing to do. Let's do that. Right. Um, and at that point, especially less so now, but you know, in the first six months, especially, uh, I was having to make rapid decisions many times a day just to keep the thing going. And right. I, I didn't have the, you know, I, and my, I gave myself the, I remember at the time, this is about maybe the three days in, I said to myself, okay, you don't have to get all the decisions right. You've just got to make them. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about it being perfect. Just get them done. And that was sort of the mantra I took. You know, there was two. There was that, and the other one was light touch and effective. So whatever I did, it had to be easy to do, yep. and it had to work. They were sort of the, the things that I kind of told myself, and I wrote them down, stuck them on the wall, said, whatever you do, whatever decisions you make, that's the reason you're making those decisions because ultimately if it's not helping people don't bother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Oh man. Like I just, I just, <laughs> just thinking of you or imagining you on that night, just like putting that out there and then waking up and seeing that it had kind of grown so, so quickly overnight. And then all of a sudden you're involved in an official entity, like having an official entity around this thing and, it really consuming your 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 life unless you put these these boundaries around and these like guardrails on of it has to be easy for me to manage and it has to work right and it has to help um and man it, i mean i i don't know i i just feel uh just really um i don't know why either but there's just like a a gratefulness that I feel um, inside right now as I'm just remembering going through that emotional time last year and then having this thing be introduced to me on my glowing brick Um, and all of my, and many of my friends saying like, yeah, look at this. I just got this piece through here. I just got this piece. I just discovered this artist that I would never have discovered this, this person had it not been for this hashtag. Um, and just the, just even that, right. Discovering, uh, like, uh, somebody, um, I had on a conversation like this, uh, back in the springtime, um, was an artist that I found through artist support pledge, um, and purchased a piece of her work. Um, and she has this like amazing, amazing story. Um, 
and is just an inspiring person. And we've kind of developed, you know, not a really close relationship by any means, but like a relationship that um, is special in its own, in its own right. And um, I think that maybe, well, this is a big statement, but I think for me anyway, that is the important piece um, to my experience with the artist support pledge is meeting other artists, seeing what they're about, learning their stories. Um, and I'm so thankful that you had that idea to put it out there. Um, really, really uh, wonderful that, that you're doing that. Um, thank you so much, Matthew, for, for taking this time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I will make sure that all of your uh, website addresses and handles and everything are in the, are in the notes. But um, for now, everybody, this is Matthew Burrows and uh, Artist Support Pledge. Um, check out the hashtag on Instagram, buy some work, sell some work, um, meet some people. Um, that is my favorite part. Um, well, I like buying work too. Just ask my, ask my wife. I have a bit of a, uh, an obsession there, but, um, but yeah, mainly be connected with people. Um, this is a really, really, uh, interesting time, uh, to be a human being. Um, and like we were talking about artists are, uh, the ones that can help remind us of that. So, Anyway, Matthew, thank you so much. Um, thank you, TJ. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, everyone, until next time, I'll see you soon. <laughs>